Hi, my name is Mike Dillard, and this is Self Made Man, the podcast for those who want to leave their mark on the world and create a legacy of honor, integrity, and achievement in every aspect of your life. I'm glad you're here, and once again, it is time to forge your destiny. Digital marketing today is changing faster than ever. Facebook ad costs have doubled or even tripled in the past year. Their policies have changed, and it's forcing business owners to completely change their approach to customer acquisition. This transition can be the death of a business as a once steady source of customers slowly and then suddenly disappears. Before you know it, what used to work doesn't anymore. Revenue starts to drop. Profits start to drop, and you've got to make some changes fast. So, what do you do? Well, you need a new set of eyes to look at your business and give you some new ideas. And that's where our guest, George Bryant, comes in today. I met George at Aubrey Marcus's house a few months ago and quickly realized that this guy really knows his stuff. George built his own seven figure online business in the competitive paleo nutrition space a few years ago, but today he spends the majority of his time helping companies like Onnit. Men's Health, Adidas, and Reebok create online marketing campaigns that work. Well, today, George is going to bring us up to speed on how the online marketing space has changed over the past year or two and what you need to do in order to adapt, adjust, and thrive in this new environment. We'll find out what he's doing with his clients to help them double or even triple their sales within 30 days and so much more. Please help me welcome George Bryant. George Bryant, welcome to Self Made Man. It's a pleasure to have you here, brother. I am excited to be here, my friend. Yeah, this is going to be a really fun episode. Um, this is going to be the first, I guess, interview of this kind that we've had here on the podcast in three years because you're a pretty unique individual with a very specific set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the movie Taken. Yes, it that. does. Yes, it yeah. does. Um, the the skill set that you have, though, is not necessarily assassinating bad guys as much as it is putting together kick-ass marketing campaigns for some of the biggest companies out there. And you and I had a chance to meet at Aubrey Marcus's house here in town and uh, through a couple of other mutual friends as well. And... If you could take a moment to describe a little bit about your story and what you do for for companies like on it. Yeah, that's amazing and thank you so much. Yeah, I don't I don't assassinate bad guys. I I assassinate marketing problems. There you so, go. Nice. Um yeah, so my story um you know the elevator styles. I was an active duty marine for 12 years, couple combat deployments, and in that time I struggled with a lot of personal demons. I was sexually abused, physically abused. I was bulimic for close to 15 years, gained and lost 100 pounds. And so in this journey of mine when I was in the Marine Corps around year 10, I taught myself how to cook paleo and at the time, I didn't know I had celiac disease, but I did. And I ended up eating paleo, teaching myself how to cook, and documenting it all kind of on the internet. And after 12 years of service in the Marine Corps, the Marines said, hey, you're no longer fit for duty. You're undeployable. We don't need you anymore. We're going to medically separate you, which basically is a nice way of saying after 12 years, you get no support or retirement whatsoever. <laughs> Have mm. a nice life. Wow. And so when that happened, I decided that I wasn't going to work for anybody else. This was back 2010, 2011 timeframe. And I was like, I'm going to do this cooking thing full time and I'm going to figure it out as I go. So I taught myself web design. I taught myself food photography. I taught myself how to cook. And then two years later, I was a 22 week New York Times bestselling cookbook author, which is pretty amazing. I launched an app 
we hit number one in the world. We're featured by Apple's the top one, the number one health app in 2015. Launched a ton of digital products, built an organic audience to a million plus, and fast forward a couple years, and I realized it was very hard to run a food blog when you hate cooking. So I kind of created a business for myself that I, I didn't enjoy. So about three years ago, I realized that what I loved more than anything was understanding customer journeys and focusing a lot on taking care of our customers from a marketing relationship building and business aspect. And so I became a consultant three years ago. I hired a team. Uh, My wife is the CEO. My brother is my video CTO slash tech guy. And then uh, my community manager run my civilized caveman company. And then I have been a speakeasy consultant for the last two and a half years to some of the biggest companies in this world. Uh, Biggest one being 7 billion, smallest one only being like 55,000. And so what I like to say is that I help companies ethically scale. And I do that through about seven marketing principles that I came up with that you know, stand the test of time and focusing heavily on customer journey. And so I come into companies like Onnit, uh, Vital Proteins, I've worked with Adidas, Titleist, TaylorMade, Men's Health, Women's Health, Runner's World, Cycling World, all these different uh, publications, companies, and products. And we look at wall-to-wall marketing campaigns, customer journeys, biz ops, efficiencies, and we figure out where all the leaky buckets are, where we can be better with our customers, where we can have better acquisition costs, where we can really take the company to the next level and ensure that we have customers that aren't only a one-time customer, but they become you know, fans and customers for life through all the different areas that we take care of them. So that is probably the shortest way that I've ever explained my story. So let's talk about I think we need to do an entire second episode on your on your on your personal journey. <laughs> yeah. But we didn't plan for that today, but I think that that would be awesome. When it comes to marketing, it's obviously the dream of every business owner to grow their business as fast as they can. Yep. What are the common traits that you see out there in all of your clients that make the biggest positive impact and what are some of the biggest mistakes that they're making as well? Yeah, that's that. God, that's an amazing question. And it's funny because I've done over a hundred two day intensives at a hundred different companies and it all comes back to the same thing. And so what I found to be the number one most successful trait of any of these companies is that they believe at the core that they can scale their business one customer at a time. Like they believe in personalization at scale. Now, that doesn't mean that they're sending, you know, 7,000 personal messages a day, but it does mean that they think through the entire customer evolution. When somebody comes into something, they think through not only the fulfillment of that product, but they think through the next 12 months of the life cycle of that customer. What other things might they like? Where can they escalate up a value ladder? Where should we suppress them so they don't get emails that would inundate their experience or overwhelm them? And then also think about when somebody does come in, what are all the other options for them? What if they come in, check out our product, and don't buy. What do we do then? What if they come in, they buy our product, but they don't use it? You know, what if they buy two out of four products? How do we design that customer journey from a marketing perspective and a business perspective to take care of them? And so that has been the number one kind of trait that I've seen where people and companies take the time to think through that entire process that has had the biggest impact on the bottom line. And I'd say the number one mistake on the inverse of that that I've seen is is just that. It's focusing so heavily on the front end that they forget 
about everybody past that transaction, right? Because, you know, we live in a world where, you know, there's advertising taught everywhere, paid media. It's like the biggest blue and red ocean at the same time on the, on the current landscape of the internet. You can spend as much money as you want on paid advertising and get these leads. And so I found companies that are like amazing at what they do. They make such a big difference and they convert, let's say 5% of cold traffic. So for every hundred people that come in, five are saying yes, and they take care of those five. And then they go try to find a hundred more rather than focusing on taking care of the other 95 and turning those no's to yeses, which has a massive, massive impact. It drastically reduces customer acquisition costs. It drastically increases customer retention, you know, natural organic kind of social media engagement, word of mouth advertising and all those aspects. So it's the inverse of one and the other. So that would be the number one thing that I say everybody focuses on is really thinking through and and the way that I do it, it's really easy. I ask myself, would I be okay if my 94 year old grandmother went through this product I'm about to sell? And that means from she understands it, that she's clear on what she's getting. And then she has a very clear way to be like, no, this isn't a good fit for me. It's okay that I leave. And I say that because my grandmother started on the internet when web TV was invented. So like, She's very not tech, but plays in tech all the time. And it's really, really a good test for me because the truth is, is that when we market, we are marketing to our own spouses, our children, our friends, our family members. And sometimes we get disconnected from that. But when we see another marketer who took one of our family members through four upsells that didn't help them, we get pretty upset at them. And so I kind of like to put that, that self-limiting test in there to make sure I'm on the right track. How has the paid marketing landscape, or actually let's just use marketing in general because I'm thinking of ideas around organic as well. So how has the online marketing space changed in the last 24 months? Because I think that it's changed pretty dramatically, especially when you can look at Facebook. Massively, massively. Yeah, it's it's kind of insane. Like if you were around four years ago, it, it was like a it was like a candy store, right? Like it was nobody I'm was really. So, playing. I'm so pissed. <laughs> I know nobody nobody was playing in the space. Nobody was like they're like oh Facebook. Who does Facebook ads? That's stupid, right? We would never do those. We'll just keep doing content marketing or Google PPC. And so it's actually really really insane what's happened. And and I I think it's an amazing time. And I still think that there's an opportunity there. Like the, the ship has not sailed, but the ship has gotten a lot more expensive to board. And I would say that's the biggest thing. The last 24 months, we've seen acquisition costs go up by four times. So right. where, where we used to be, you know, like we'd spend a dollar to make four, you know, now that same, that same account, we spend $4 to make four. So we have to get really, really good at segmentation, prospecting, you know, figuring out who our audience is, what the offer is and how to best convert them where like four years ago or even three years ago, you could put up an ad and you could target to anybody 18 to 65 and you could still be profitable. Right. Right. And those, those days are, are long gone. And so it further solidifies my point where the most successful thing that we've seen is when we sit down and we think about all of those customer interactions, right? We think about the different inputs or outputs that are changing that consumer's behavior, which basically gives us our segmentation plan. So when we take that and go into, you know, Facebook, we're not going 18 to 65. We're targeting, you know, 18 to 22 year old women who, you know, are college educated that are interested in this or 40 to 42 year old men who have a median income of this that do this. And so when you put the plan together, it gives you everything that you need to succeed. But with the with the the space of paid media, and this this is Facebook, this is Instagram, this is YouTube, this is Google, 
If you don't put the plan in place, it is a very quick way to print money for all of these other companies while you drain your bank account. So uh, let's dive into an example of what this looks like, maybe with one of your clients on a before and after, right? Here's what they were doing before two years ago, because I've seen this happen in the last 12 months with our Facebook stuff where we just, you know, for three years, just printed money, sending traffic to uh, a landing page, generated an opt-in and sold a product. Yeah, and it doesn't it it doesn't work that the way you know the way that it used to now, and we're having to essentially revamp our entire approach to customer acquisition. And so I'm all ears when it comes to what you're about to share because this is where I think all on- online entrepreneurs are today. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, you and I have talked about it at length, right? And I love what you guys do and how you're doing it, and you have everything to make the biggest difference. And so. One of the marketing principles that I teach is that if it can be personal, it must be. So real life example, now just in all honor of me not getting knocked off because of my contract, I'm not going to share the company name, <laughs> but yeah. I, I, have a, I have a supplement company that I've been working with for a while. And when I came in, we were doing $110,000 a month in digital revenue. And it was about 80% on our website and 20% on Amazon. And these are physical products or? These are physical. Yeah, this is a physical supplement product. And so nothing to scoff at, right? That's that's good numbers. We looked at everything. And uh, it's now been uh, 14 months, 15 months. And we are in multiple seven figures every single month with a good half and half split. So Half is on our ecosystem, half is on Amazon and a couple other places out there. And what's really, really interesting is that the changing of the paid media space, even in the last 12 months, is what forced us to evolve because our acquisition costs were just getting outrageous to the point where we were losing money on the front end. We couldn't predict our customer journey. We didn't know the life cycle, average order value, when somebody should be upsold and when they shouldn't. So we took a very, very hard look at this about 14 months ago. And we said, before we spend any more money, before we scale our ad budget, we need to plug all the leaky holes. And we were really good at, you know, in a very blue ocean, finding customers. But as more competition came through and everything else happened, we lost a lot of that. So what we did is we were selling physical products already. We created a complementary digital product arm, like a library or, or call it repository, if you must, where we could do a lot of acquisition and prospecting with digital content that we had very little overhead with. So as we started getting people, we knew that if we were using, and I'm just going to make up a rough example, we were selling a weight loss supplement. Rather than trying to sell that weight loss supplement, we created a content marketing strategy for the first three to four touch points of a user's experience. And so we would create you know, some weight loss videos, weight loss ebook, weight loss kind of like email campaign. And we would use that to do our prospecting. And it was amazing because we would focus on, you know, different pillars of weight loss, whether it be diet, whether it would be mindset or whether it would be fitness. And then once we would, you know, run that content, we would run an ad for all four of them. We would split test. And then once somebody started clicking on, let's say, you know, a weight loss video due to fitness, we would then start running our acquisition to our paid products, but we could change the sales languaging, we could change the landing page, and we kind of knew exactly who people were based on what they were interested in. And so we spent about two months planning through all of the different pillars. We had three pillars in the company that we would go after, right? So think wellness, recipes, and fitness. And then we would plan out the journey for each one. And we got really, really good at figuring out what all the commonalities were for our audience, like what made them take action, what agitated their pain points, what solutions they needed to their problems. And then we created content 
digital content, landing pages, pillar pages, you know, ebooks and videos that solved these problems. And people started associating the solutions of these problems with our company. And a byproduct of that is that they started buying all of our, our supplements and our products. And so we were able to take the same ad spend that we were doing before we mapped this whole journey out and use the same exact ad spend. And we right off the bat, we're bringing in a five X on what we were on the same way. So Simply, can you, can you yep. talk, can you talk a little bit about why it's less expensive that way and more yeah, effective? For sure, for sure. Yeah. So the reason it's less expensive is that, you know, the hardest part about paid media is figuring out who your audience is and where they are. Right. And so we spend a lot of money doing what, what I call or what we call a lot of us call prospecting, where we're going really, really wide. We're running this, you know, one audience, 18 to 55, and we're running multiple, multiple pillars underneath that audience. We're running, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 ads to figure out what people are interested in, why they're interested in it. And then once they take an action, then we move them into kind of a funnel. And so what we did is we basically let organic traffic and a little bit of paid media help us disseminate that. You know, we create content that's free that has the ability to go viral. We create videos where we talk about certain things. But in a three minute video, we know and we can create an audience off people who only watch 30 seconds of the video, a minute and a half off the video or, you know, two plus minutes of the video. And so because of that, and I'll use the video example as a perfect example, if I have a three minute video on weight loss and I get somebody that only watches 30 seconds and leaves. I'm probably not going to try to sell them the product because they missed the boat on the back end, whatever the offer was or whatever, you know, the solution was. And so we would retarget them with, you know, more free content, maybe put them on a landing page. And then somebody who hit more than a minute and a half, like they're probably really good. I can make a couple offers. And then on the back end, someone who finishes the whole video, like we're going to sell to them immediately. So really what it does is it saves us a lot of money because we're letting people segment themselves versus us trying to segment them as we prospect through all of this stuff. Now, it, it works hand in hand with, you know, regular stuff as well. We're still doing prospecting, but it eliminates us having to test a lot of stuff internally. And then once we find that audience, once we find those offers or those ads that convert the best, then we're able to create lookalike audiences or take people that landed on the content pillar pages and retarget them. So instead of us trying to go out and find all these people and get them to our website, we're creating the content that generates those leads, gets the organic traffic, ranks in search engines, and get people to our website already. And then we're spending our time retargeting them, kind of developing that customer journey and then kind of creating lookalikes so we can expand it. So I know that was like a long answer, but basically, <laughs> basically it's a lot cheaper because rather than us guessing, we're letting our audience tell us what they want, why they want it and how they want it. And then once we get that information, we're using that to create other journeys for like audiences to do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, for most people who are listening to this, if you're not super knowledgeable on the digital marketing side. A lot of this is just going to go like, whoa, shit, that just went over yeah. my head. <laughs> you know, but that that's it. That's the world that we live in today. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, all of this comes down to putting out really great high quality content. And I wanted to ask you how you help companies do that at scale, right? Yeah. And let's just take, you know, let's just take me for, for example. Mm -hmm. And let's just assume I'm the only... The only person that's self-made, man. It's up for me. It's up to me to make the content that I'm putting out there, and that's a that's a big time-consuming task. Yes. Is that something that you guys outsource, or do you, you know, how do y'all go about 
building out that level and that amount of quality content? Yeah, that's an amazing question. And that is something that everybody's going to run into because it, it does get to a point where, you know, we we do run at a capacity model where eventually you'll run out of the capacity, time or energy to do all of that on your own. And so that's where when I come into a company, when I work with a company, we look at efficiencies like we make sure that what we're doing or what we're about to do is actually aligned to the mission vision of the company, right? In the next month, three months, nine months, 12 months, right? Or that the social media that we're posting on is actually supportive of the company. It's one that we should be using. So the first thing we do is we, we kind of identify current state. We figure out where we are. Like, where are we right now? Who are the current stakeholders? What are we doing? How are we doing it? And more importantly, why are we doing it? And then what's the ROI on that? And then once we're there, we start prioritizing and figure out where we want to go, which is future state. And we design what that looks like, and then we help the plan to get there. And so for me, I try to keep relationships at the forefront of everything that we do, because unfortunately, there will only ever be one Mike Dillard, right? And that's that I say, unfortunately, some people might say, fortunately, that's what people <laughs> say about me, but I think it's an unfortunate thing. And so we have to work within our own limits and capacity. And so you are amazing at what you do. You're articulate, you speak, you're just intelligent. And that's where your superpower is, where you're talking to people, teaching people, training people, people are listening to you. And so for me, I look at how can I optimize, automate and outsource the rest of it, right? To use my buddy Ari's analogy, OAO. And so what we look at is like, okay, cool. Like, we're a content marketing team or we want to have a content marketing strategy. We're going to post one piece of content a week. We plan out what that content will look like, what the ideation process looks like. Like how do we get it from idea to pre-production to production to post to publishing? Who should be doing it? Whose roles and responsibilities go in there? And then we can look at that and be like, okay, so this makes sense to bring in house. This makes sense to outsource to a VA. This makes sense to go to an agency. And we base all of it on, you know, time money and, and kind of opportunity cost to make sure that financially it makes sense for the company, right? Or that it's the biggest, you know, benefit of everybody's time. But there's this thing that one of my mentors told me a long time ago, and he called him MWA. And MWA stands for minimum wage activity. And he said to me, square in the face, and he said, as long as you do MWAs or minimum wage activities, there's only one thing that you can make, and that is minimum wage. And it's it's kind of always stuck with me. And that that's not a bad thing. But what he's basically saying is that when you get out of your zone of genius and you start doing things that aren't aligned to like what you really enjoy doing or love doing, you have a lot of missed opportunity costs, a lot of energy costs. And so I always look at how can we take something as simple as content creation? I'm going to give everybody a very tangible example. So Civilized Caveman is my cooking business and I don't like cooking, right? But we still run a cooking blog, which means I don't come up with the recipes. I don't do any of the videos. I'm just the face of it in my language. So my team or in this case, it's actually just one person will say, okay, you know, this is what we're seeing on social. These are what are popular. These are holidays that are coming up. So I think these should be the next 12 recipes that we create. And so he'll come to me with a list and I'm like, okay, that's amazing. I like that one. I like that one. Maybe we should adjust this one. And then we found a recipe creator that we pay and they go create the recipes and they send us back the recipes and the photos. And then my team, one person, takes all of those and drafts all 12 of them so we can be basically three months ahead. And then once they are drafted, he sends me a list and he says, okay, here's you know recipe one with some notes, recipe two with some notes, and he asked me to record a video. And what I do is on that video, I talk through how I would make it, why I would do it, how I would cook it for my family, or why I would cook it for my family if I was still cooking it. And I record one straight through video. It's normally 15 to 20 minutes. And it's all my thoughts, my notes, my verbiage, my language. 
on those recipes. As soon as I'm done, I never see those recipes again until I see them shared on my own social media. They take that video and they transcribe it and then they use that and they put those notes in each recipe and then they go in and write the blog posts according to what I said in the video. But for me, I'm just recording a 15 to 20 minute video so then I can go do other videos, live streams, speaking engagements. And then my team is empowered to kind of do everything based on the systems and processes that we made up, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's awesome. That's, <laughs> that's, a level of, that's a level of automation and systemization that I'm, I'm certainly envious of. <laughs> because that's what's required to, to start working at scale, right? Like you have to yep. take yourself out of the process. And yes. if you are the content producer, provider, the, the, the guru, quote unquote, or expert, if you will, it can be really challenging to do that, which was one of the reasons we started Self-Made Man was to take me out of the equation outside of the podcast, which is why there are no classes by Mike Dillard on the platform. Yep. Maybe there will be in a, you know, maybe there will be this year, one or two, but that's going to be it. It's, it's not the Mike show, right? So <laughs> I love, that's a really important distinction too, though, because you remember earlier when you asked me that question, what's the number one thing that I see in companies that, that hurt their bottom line? And I didn't want to do this first, but I will say that the second answer to that is ego. Mm. And that is the biggest, biggest problem that we run into because when we, and Gary Vee is famous for saying this, if you're romantic about how you do business, you're going to go out of business, mm. right? Because we are only able to see to our level of understanding. And a lot of the times that's very biased based on our experiences. And a lot of us get emotionally involved with our own companies. And so we do what we think is right, but that's not necessarily based on the feedback or the market or any of our customers' experiences. And so what I found was really, really humbling for me is when I kind of took this replaceable founder mindset, right? And I was like, okay, I'm like, I know I think I'm the best at this. Like, I think I'm the best at everything and I have to do it all. My email, my content creation, my video editing and all of it. And I'm like, but what if I was wrong? Like, what would that look like? And I'm like, and with what that would look like, how would I go about finding somebody? So what I started doing is I just started recording everything that I did, right? So if I was recording a video, I would record a, a webcam video of me talking through, okay, this is why I'm going to do this video. This is how I'm going to do this video. This is how I'm going to shoot the video. Now I'm going to go shoot the video. And then I would like record, okay, I'm shooting the video. I use two cameras. This is why I'm thinking this. And then I would edit the video and I would screen record myself editing the video and talk through why I was doing it. And then I would talk about why I was going to use that in a blog post and where I wanted to post it and why I wanted to post what I did. And I ended up recording the entire process. And then this is what I did. I took it and I sent it to a, a service called Magic, which is like an on-demand VA. It's like $35 an hour billed by the minute. And I said, hey, I have all these videos. I need to turn this into a standard operating procedure. So I'm going to send you all the videos and I want you to watch them, write me, an SOP, take screenshots out of it and put it into a website called Process Street, which is just a way to track kind of like your processes. And I sent it to them and it took like three days. They came back and I had this fully fledged entire SOP from idea generation all the way to publishing the blog post with screenshots, instructions, usernames, passwords and everything. And then I said, great. And then I said, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I can't give you my video shooting because it's in my kitchen with my cameras, right? So here's my idea. I'm going to go shoot the videos and then I'm going to send you all the footage. And I did. And they found me and I paid. I mean, they found me a video editor and stuff like that. But I wanted to prove that it could be done without me. And, and to be really, really honest with you, the video that I got back was better than anything I would have ever made, like wow. legitimately. Yeah. And it's because... 
when I'm doing it, I'm so like enrolled and I think it's one way, but they got to look at it very objectively and they're like, okay, so this is what he's trying to do. This is the mood that he wants to convey. This is why he's cooking it. So let me create that. And I ended up finding a recipe video creator through this whole process that does all of my recipe videos for less than $300 a video Mm. for between 90 seconds and two minutes. And I'm like, okay, well that was taking me 11 hours basically from like idea to completion. And I was like, so is my time only worth, you know, whatever 11 divided by 250 or 300 is. I'm like, nope. And it kind of gave me that clarity and that, that kind of like, okay, like this is exactly why I did this and what should be done and that I'm not the best one to do this. But it started with just being very self-aware, even though Jordan Harbinger says, if you're self-aware, you're not really self-aware. And I called him out last week on it, but I'm agreed that I'm self-aware and just say that. Um, <laughs> and that it just required me to really understand what I did. Right. And I, and I will say that in my own journey of being a better businessman, a better consultant, a better marketer and all of this stuff, I think I show up one way and that keeps me very comfortable. But once I started getting feedback and documenting how I showed up or what I was doing, I realized how much time I was wasting on busy work or justifications of things that did not impact my business, my bottom line, and most importantly, my customers. And so when I was able to start documenting these things and looking at them objectively, I piece by piece started disassembling my ego and it was amazing what happened because then piece by piece, I started building a team of amazing people that were basically paying for themselves because then we could focus on staying aligned to mission vision and all the key stakeholders were in place one by one. First one was a video one and then it was a content team and then it was a social media team. But it all kind of built on top of each other to where everybody's empowered to kind of do their job be all idea in kind of drive the mission vision. And all I have to do is once a month record a video for 22 minutes. Yeah, that's amazing, man. So that's the best way to talk through that. So, you know, I've had a challenge for myself with the platform over the last year is that whatever has to get done, I have to figure out, figure out a way to get it done without me doing it. Yep. And, and that was just the, the way that it forced me to start to think and approach things differently. And, and, you know, it's been helpful, but you have a level of like systemization here. That's just you know, awesome. It works really, really well. And I want to, I want to dissect it for everybody just to be really simple, just so everybody knows, like this isn't some massive automated thing. We literally use Airtable, which is just like a basically souped up Microsoft Excel or Google Sheets, if you will. And the most important part about all of these is just having the discipline to use a tool and the tool doesn't matter, right? It could be you know, you could give a hundred different carpenters a hammer and blueprints and they're all kind of going to build it differently depending on what they do, but you're going to end up with a house at the end. The thing is, is that you stay consistent and you stay kind of disciplined to use that tool. And so like all of our SOPs are literally in Google drive documents and then assigned and done in an Airtable document of like, okay, it's assigned to you by this date. It's assigned to you by this date. And I would say the hardest thing, the hardest thing for me to get used to was instead of waking up in this like, okay, got to do all this stuff today, waking up and like, okay, let me update the document from yesterday and then make a plan on what I'm going to do today. And then at the end of the day, update the document again so the whole team or anybody involved can see everything and where it is versus having to email 68 times or Slack 44 times without clogging up all of our stuff with unneeded communication or meetings. We all focus on keeping like that central like nucleus, if you will, updated and clear so everybody knows their jobs, their roles and responsibilities, and we don't have to bog each other down. And once we got that, everything changed. Cool. Very cool. I would love to do a class with you on that or something. We'll have to figure it out. 
because this is definitely an area where I personally <laughs> could use some improvement. <laughs> well, luckily, I see you when I come to Austin, so we can make we can make that one happen. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure we'll figure something out and do see if we can do a class for everybody listening. What else? Because I want to I want to maximize the time that we've got left here, and you've just got so many cool insights into all of these companies. What else has been working really well recently for some of your clients that's just changed the game? Yeah, yeah. I think this one. So another example I have, I think is it's on the other side. So a lot of times when I come into companies, everybody wants to focus on their bottom line, right? Like how do I get more clients, better acquisition costs? How do I get them cheaper? Or how do I get my emails to convert better? Or how do I get my social and all this stuff? And this was a really interesting one because I was hired to do a, a two-day marketing intensive. But ended up happening is we did a two-day biz ops, like business operations and efficiencies intensive. And we were able to figure out that if we actually streamlined a lot of our customer service and um, indoctrination processes that we could free up seven employees or six employees. We took the customer service team from 10 down to four. And what that meant from the business, like when you really, really think about that, even at like a low salary, you know, that's $500,000 a year in income that was actually, actually unnecessary because there weren't document systems or procedures in place. So we actually, a lot of that customer service that happened in that company happens all on Facebook. Like for some reason, like their demographic just loves sending Facebook messages for every customer service thing in the world. No email, no phone calls. It's like Facebook message. And I'm talking three to 400 messages a day. And I mean, like this was insane. And so what we did is we figured out how we could automate some of that with ManyChat, which is just a, a Facebook bot. But we started figuring out where like the 10 big buckets that people were coming in with. And we started mapping out with sticky notes. And I mean like thousands of sticky notes on a wall in a two-day period, what all of the different avenues or choices could be. And then which ones required human contact and which ones didn't. And we mapped all of these sequences off a menu. So when you said return, it took you like, okay, is it because it's broken or is the size wrong? And then, you know, kind of went through these things. And then whenever required a human contact in those steps, we would have it automatically notify a customer service person. So they would get an email that says, you know, so-and-so is on this step and then they could go in. But what we ended up doing was reducing our customer service load by like 61%. Now, I was hired because they needed to convert like 1% better so they could be break even on the front, which would have given them around like, I don't know, it was only like an extra 10 or $12,000. But what ended up happening is on the back end, we saved so much money that we didn't have to change our acquisition cost anymore. Mm. And all of a sudden, what we were doing was actually working versus not working. Wow. And so... A lot of times we get so focused on that front of like, I need to get my number down or I need my return on ad spend to be 2x or 3x or whatever, because that's what the numbers are telling us. But if you actually take a step back and look at it from an efficiency standpoint, how do we keep the number the same? Because that's what's working right now. Are there other areas in which we can improve, which will then help us continue at this, which now we can convert people 30, 60, 90, 120 days later into a different program or upsell them or take them on a better customer journey, if that makes sense. So that's a very important distinction that I think every business owner in general, whether you're a team of one or two, or you're a team of 150 or, and you know, my biggest case, like 7,000, what actually happens is when you do it at scale, you end up scaling a lot of those broken problems. So you want to focus on that foundation to make sure that you're doing everything that you can and it's efficient and it's lean and it serves a purpose. So I think that's another very, very big one that everybody should kind of pay attention to. 
Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, the easiest way to make an extra 10 grand a month is to... Is to save it. Yeah, and like you'd be shocked. Uh, Well, you probably wouldn't, but... I I wouldn't, but I know exactly where you're going, so share it. (laughs) Well, one of the best things you can do, and I'm going to say this to my own detriment right now, but so be it. (laughs) So, (laughs) one of the best things you can do is to take your credit card, your business card that you use for all of your services and everything, and throw it away. (laughs) And you will quickly realize how much stuff you have on a recurring billing scenario every month that's being hit on that card that you are no longer using. Yep. I think I went through and I saved like five grand a month in recurring services, tools, and software. Oh, here's an example. I uh, I used to use SamCart like three or four years ago, and I love SamCart. It's like a, a super simple shopping cart. The Moran Brothers. Yeah, and I you know I set up and I taught. I think the first Listgrow course was was demonstrated through SamCart, and phenomenal service. And so I had a couple demo accounts that I created for the tutorial videos that I did. And this was like two months ago. I go through and I'm like, I had this problem where I lost my card. I had to get a new one. Everything's coming in decline. I'm getting the decline notices via email. I finally contacted their customer service. I had eight SamCart accounts that were billing my credit card for a hundred bucks a month for like two years. And I'm I did I, not to laugh, but I just I'm no, no. I get it. Like I was shocked. I was dumbfounded. I was like, I'm a freaking idiot. But but and then you have like you know hosting where we're paying six hundred dollars a month for hosting when we were sending a ton of traffic to those pages and servers. And we're not doing that anymore. We're sending traffic to selfmademan.com now, which is on a completely different service. And I'm still paying five or $600 a month for that freaking hosting account. Can I tell you what the biggest one I see is? What's that? Uh, email lists. Sure. Email lists because people like number one, like legally, like legally, like per can spam, like if somebody doesn't open or respond to an email in 90 days, like legally, you're supposed to call them a cold subscriber and re-engage their permission to send them an email. Mm. Not many people do that. And now with GDPR, it's actually going to get even more intense because everything is about consent and all these other things. And was like, oh my God, right? And you remember the days, Mike, we've been doing this for a long time, right? Like, Eight years ago, it was who has the biggest email list, right? They're like the most valuable person ever because it was just like this massive blue ocean. And at one point, I had 673,000 people on my email list and I deleted the entire thing and started over. Like literally the entire thing. And if I said that seven years ago, marketers would have had heart attacks, like heart attacks. And I was like, that's fine. I was like, but it's also the same reason that I get 68 to 75% open rates consistently at scale throughout an entire customer journey. And the truth is, is that when somebody's a no, it's just a no for right now. It doesn't mean they'll never come back to your email. It doesn't mean they'll never read your email, but there's no point in paying a server or a CRM company or any of them to have a name on a list that does absolutely nothing because it just hurts your bottom line of your business. And like we had one literally like three weeks ago where we just simply redesigned their email list. We kind of pruned what was there. We tagged sold cold subscribers. We re-engaged with cold subscribers. We ended up saving $2,300 a month by cleaning that list. Yeah. And so don't be afraid. And I'm going to say this to everybody. Don't be afraid to be really clean and congruent in what you do because the truth is, is that you should be speaking to your customers or prospective customers and there's a time when you plan this that you realize like if somebody's been on your email list for six months and they've gotten 38 emails and they've never opened one, that they probably don't want your solution. Like you're probably not the best fit for them and that's yeah. okay. Well, they're not, they're not, 
you're not losing anything. No. Other than other than the ego around having a larger list because they're not buying anything from you. They're really just sapping up again your energy and money because they're on your list and you're paying to deliver them an email they're not opening. And so I, you know, it's funny, I've I've been doing this for 10 years. Yep. But at least once a year, I send out an email that I think I was the first person to do this because I still get people come up to me and be like, man, I can't believe you did that. I remember when you did that, like 10 years ago, where I would send an email that says, please get off my list. Yeah. And it was designed to be nice, but it was designed to be a challenge to folks where it's like, hey, you haven't, you've been on my list, you've been reading my emails, but you haven't purchased, you know, our book yet, our entry level product for 20 bucks or whatever it was. And I would just call people on it and I'd say, look, if you're really serious about becoming an entrepreneur, then let's actually take some action and and move forward. And and if not, then I would pol- like to politely ask you to get off my email list because there's no point in continuing this relationship if that's not what you're serious about. Yep. And every single time I sent that email, I would get record numbers of sales and hardly any unsubscribes, mm-hmm. uh, which was really interesting. But yeah, so... Yeah, and you know what? You know it's it's amazing. I love that too, Mike. I mean, a lot of people. Dean Jackson's you know famous for the nine word email, but really, it's it's really doing the due diligence too. It's not like offending anybody or letting them go. Like you're making sure and taking a stand for it. And and you know this is all like a big rotation. Like if somebody's not utilizing, we want to make sure they are. And then when I think through customer journey, one of my favorite things to do is that we always have a home for buyers and non buyers alike, and we use Facebook groups for all of it, mm. just because it gives us a place to stay in relationship to add value, to give you content, and to also hear your questions, hear your feedback, and kind of figure out how we can best support you without requiring you to be on my email list. And then that way, when you're ready, it's there. So what we'll do is a lot of the times is like on re- our, our re-engagement sequence, we make automatic, but in there, the first thing that says is like email might not be the best fit for you, but we would love to have you in our Facebook group, right? No pressure. You don't have to buy anything. Like we just love learning from you. We love adding and sharing content. We love getting the feedback. And so you're thinking through that customer journey kind of all the way through and ensuring that even if it's a no or it's a no to email or maybe it's a no to reading your blog content or subscribing to your YouTube, that it's probably still a yes somewhere else. And we just need to make sure we do our due diligence to support those people. Yeah, no, agreed. Or it could be for somebody else's product. Thousand percent, thousand, yeah. thousand percent, right? Because yeah. as much as I like to think I'm the best, there's probably a lot of people that are better than me that <laughs> they can help people have a lot more benefits in in some instances. And you remember what you said about the credit card too? I think Mm -hmm. this is really important what I do. Whether you do your own books or whether you have somebody do your books, use something like Fully Accountable or Paro, or you have a CPA or anything like that, every month, you know, we get a PL. But on ours, with that PL comes an email into my inbox and it lists every single subscription that I pay for. Mm, That's smart. And once a month I'm like, nope, nope, yep, yep, nope, nope. And then I'm Yep. And so it's just this constant and it's just that discipline, right? We just make it one of the rules like, hey, no matter what, a part of our monthly job is once a month, I take 20 minutes and I read this email and I'm like, okay, do we still need this? Or we're using this, but we're not really using it. Is this the best solution or we need to change to something? And that's been pretty, pretty massive. Even if you did it quarterly, it would be, you know, heavenly for most people. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree. You know, if you if you can save ten thousand dollars a month, whether it's on payroll or a mix of you know all of these services, it's one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year, and that's that's profit. That's that's, that's a, profit. That's a big deal. <laughs> which means that if you know you're shopping your business around, you're going to get three to five x that. So essentially, you're looking at 
you know, adding four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars into your pocket instantly just by paying attention to that for you know an hour once a month. Thousand percent. Not to ma- not to mention like the efficiencies, right? If you're in the M and A space or you're looking for that stuff, the due diligence is what takes the longest time every single time. I've been behind. I think I've been involved in like eight or nine acquisitions just in the last year. Uh, acquisitions or investments, and the hardest part is when somebody comes in having an accurate representation of what the business looks like because there's so many inefficiencies, so many, and it just prolongs the process. It makes it harder. But when you're aligned and like your induction around, like you have a very clear book because you know what you're paying for every month or you have central, you know, efficient processes and systems and, you know, Google drive or an Airtable or anything like all of those make a massive, massive difference. And when we say three to five, that's what determines whether you're in the three range or, or upwards on the other side. Yeah, no agreed. I want to spend our last 10, 15 minutes here tackling what is probably the biggest challenge for most entrepreneurs who are listening to this, yep. which is front-end acquisition. Yep. Making your first sale, making that first sale to a new customer is the most difficult thing you can possibly do. And as we mentioned at the beginning of this interview, it's harder today than it was a year or two years ago by a magnitude. Yep. And... I think it used to probably cost people on average one to three bucks for an opt-in. And today it's now five to 10 probably. Yeah. And even some days we see like 60 to 70, like on webinars and things. It's insane. Right. So what advice do you have for folks who are in that position? They're trying to get their front end acquisition to work, to convert better. What do they need to do? Yeah, that's an amazing question. And the only reason I give this advice is because it's the advice that I hated and it's the one that worked. Um, (laughs) and so what I found is that it's never really the, like the offer itself. It's typically like the audience or the messaging, right? So when people ask me, Hey, why isn't my stuff working? Why isn't my stuff working? I'm typically like, it's either the offer or the audience, but the product itself is never really the problem. I think a minute ago I said the offer, I meant the product itself, right? It's the same reason that ugly sales pages convert and people buy, things off infomercials that don't really work, the product itself never matters. It's the offer and the audience that matters and making sure that that's the right fit, it's the right person, it's the right journey. And so um, I had a coaching student of mine, this was a year ago, had a coaching student who sells, and I'm just going to give a case study because it makes a lot more sense, who sells personal development coaching online and sells a $2,500 course. Now, their audience is, is primarily older, 40 plus female. And that audience is very, from like a digital perspective, very like long form sales copy, not many images, nothing really clean, um, like instant teleseminar kind of people, like listen to me on a phone call, not like big automations. And so they designed this massive funnel. Like I'm talking video launch, like Jeff Walker style, four videos, a cart, a webinar to go with it, you know, a couple like cart abandonment pages. So it was like 14 steps. And none of it was working. They were losing, I think for like every dollar they spent, they were losing like $5 trying to acquire customers. And I, I asked them, I said, where do you get the best results? And they're like, well, we get the best results when we get somebody on a phone call. And then, you know, we, we manually process them. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, where do you find those people to get on our phone call? And they're like, well, Facebook groups. I'm like, cool. And so rather than pay for acquisition, we started, well, it was like a 30-day plan that we were going to use their Facebook group. And we were going to do a daily challenge. And we were going to just funnel all of our people, we were having them do podcasts and free content and put them in the Facebook group. At any point anybody could join, they had to manually process them. So they had to like put them on a phone call and manually process them. And I told them that wait, they weren't allowed to have a funnel until they did a million dollars in sales. So all they were allowed to do 
was to go answer people's questions on Facebook and then give them the opportunity to get on a phone call and close them. And it was two of them and it only took them 81 days to generate a million dollars. And all they used was a PayPal button and a Facebook group. No funnel, no paid media, nothing. Then once that was done, I said, well, this is working. Let's change the game. What are all the things that you don't need to be doing on the phone or doing in these comments for acquisition? And they're like, so, so, and so. I'm like, so what do you want to do? Like, oh my God, I love this. Like, I'm just addicted to talking people on the phone. And I was like, cool. So we need to get you more phone calls and we need to get the rest off your plate. And so then we added paid media on top of it, but we were doing acquisition into a free Facebook group with free content right. to feed that, group. that relationship. So right. you just kept feeding the machine. But right. Facebook is amazing. Facebook loves when you keep people on Facebook. <laughs> they, they reward you very well for keeping people on your ecosystem. So we were, this was literally like eight months ago, getting uh, like 11 cents, 12 cents for very high quality people into our Facebook group. And then... We added the three questions in the beginning and we offered a lead magnet through the Facebook group. And so they gave us their email and then we would add them to our email list and start nurturing them. And very quickly, this became a multi-million dollar business with three people and just a Facebook group and an email list on the back end with some manual processing. And so I know that was a very long example to answer the question, but I say that the best way to get the acquisition correct and to get the audience correct is to do as much manual work in the beginning as possible to learn who our customers are and what makes them tick. And in one of my businesses, we've had a rule since day one that we respond to every comment no matter what. That's every email response, every social media comment. And um, there was a time when I was doing live videos every day, we had one video get five and a half million views and we had 6,800 comments on it. Mm. And I use this as an example all the time when I give keynotes. I'm like, how many of you would love, you know, to get, you know, 5 million views on a video? Everybody's hand goes up. Like, how many would love 6,000 comments? And like, everybody's hand goes up. Like, how many of you would respond to everyone? And like, nobody's hands go up. And like, cool. I'm like, how many would you respond to everyone if there was a quarter of a million dollars attached? And everybody's hand went up again. And I said, that's why we did it. And that's why we made it. Because that day, it took me 11 hours and I manually sent 6,500 messages. Hmm. And I continue to kind of live that mantra. And I know that's not sustainable. I know that's not scalable. But one of the things I teach is that if it can be personal, it must be. And so what we do is we try to free up as much space outside of human connection and relationships that allows us to focus on that human relationship and make that the number one most important thing. And so, you know, that's kind of philosophical and a little bit nuts and I hope, you know, none of you have to spend 11 hours a day responding to comments, but if it does happen, it's very, very important. So to get your acquisition cost down, to get those first customers or the first thousand customers or whatever the case is, I found the best way to do it instead of surveying my audience and doing all that stuff is I spend all my time in my DMs and in my Facebook group, like actually building two-way relationships and asking questions. And the truth is, is once you find 50 to 100 people whose problems you've solved and you've paid attention enough, it's all the same pain points, the same languaging, the same problems. And then you can figure out how that system works and start putting the pieces in place to scale it or automate it while allowing you to keep doing what you're doing, which is help your customers. Yeah, agreed. Agreed, agreed. Very cool. I love the, uh, I love the outside the box thinking and, and approach instead of trying to force the same model to work, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I there's no, sh- there's no shortage of quote unquote Facebook gurus or internet marketing gurus or anything on the internet, right? Like we're, we're always going to have plenty of those teaching us what to do. 
But notice that none of them really like teach like, hey, this is how you build a successful relationship, right? Because like, it's just, it's not something that you can really teach people. But if you spend your time doing it, it's what makes you stand out and it makes a difference. And it also takes people from transaction to transformation where when you actually take the time to respond or somebody actually creates a massive result in their life, they are going to positively talk about your company forever because you've built a social trigger in them and they associate their success with your brand. And that is the cheapest, most scalable and effective advertising that you could ever have in your business. Yeah, and I, th- agreed. I think the stat last time I checked is 82% of purchasing decisions are still based upon people's word of mouth recommendations to each other. Very cool. Couldn't agree more. Awesome, brother. This is my brain's toast. A lot to think about. <laughs> I normally uh-huh. do this for like 12 hours a day, Mike. So that's what happens when you put me in <laughs> lots of coffee because I'm going. Well, I know there's going to be a ton of people who would love to talk to you or connect with you somehow, uh, potentially hire you. How do people get in touch with you? Yeah, that's an amazing question. And uh, I'm going to be really honest with everybody. I'm like a speakeasy consultant. So you're not going to find my marketing on a website or an email address or anything. So the best way to find me is to go to my social media, the caveman one that I still use. So my Instagram is civilized caveman and I'm on LinkedIn and stuff like that. But if you DM me on Instagram, I will respond. I promise you. And I will live by what I teach and we can kind of make it happen. So civilized caveman on Instagram is the best one because my boss says I'm not allowed to have any social media for my marketing (laughs) (laughs) because it overcomplicates things and it detracts from what I'm really good at, which is being with people and making amazing customer journeys and not spending all my time posting about it. Yeah. Well, your, your business, the way you have now, you're not looking to work with a lot of people. You're looking to work with a few, a few people. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just, I love joking about it because my boss that I reference is actually my wife. Right. So, so everybody knows she's my CEO and she bosses me around every day. And it's been the single biggest transformation in my business because I get to be surrendered to the point that my ideas aren't always the best ones. And it's had a massive impact. Very cool. Very cool. Well, George, thank you, brother, for the time today. It's, uh, it's been a real pleasure to, to have you here on the show. And guys, if you've got a business that's growing and maybe you've run into some speed bumps or you need some help scaling, uh, reach out and get in touch with George. He's uh, obviously amazing at what he does. And thank you, brother. I appreciate you so much. I'm so humbled. Thank you so much for having me. And to everybody listening, thank you so much. Like from the bottom of my heart, this is an hour out of your time that you did not have to choose to listen to me. So... That means the world to me. And if I can be of any assistance, please let me know. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. If you enjoyed the show, please tell George thank you on a social media. Leave us a review on iTunes. That would be absolutely amazing. We don't promote this. Uh, everything we do here on this podcast for the last three years has strictly been word of mouth. So thank you so much for helping us spread the word. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs>